0: Now back into the show.
1: Here's what happened. I'm in prison about 17 days, and I always tell people, "Read." I said, "I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't buy a big house. I didn't have fancy cars. I didn't have uh, take expensive vacations. I, I was home every night for dinner." I was the neighborhood baseball coach, the, the school chaperone for field trips. Loved my wife. She was my best friend. We had a great marriage. I get ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men that I don't know and have three green outfits, five pairs of underpants, wondering what the hell happened in my life. And so I'm in prison about 17 days and I get the um, the message from my wife that she's going to divorce me.
0: Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Morosky. Mike is a 30-year real estate veteran. He has controlled over $285 million in real estate transaction. He's an entrepreneur, author, real estate trainer, public speaker, and personal coach with a huge, strong personal resilience and a deep desire to help others achieve an extraordinary life. He has coached hundreds of real estate investors to fulfill their dreams, and he's got a really, really unique story that I'm super pumped to be sharing with you guys today, but you know, I'm sure you're asking where the hell is he? Well, enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Mike. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Reed. I appreciate it. Good to uh, see you again.
0: Yeah, really good to see you again, too. And a couple of weeks ago, we were on your show, right? Remind the listeners of where they can find that show uh, and what's it called? Yeah, thanks. It's Insider Secrets. Uh, my company is My Core Intentions,
1: and we sponsor Insider Secrets, and I, I like, you know, people say, hey, how come you call it Insider Secrets? And I said, you know, because we talk about secrets, right? There's things in this industry that we need to share with people. And, and that's how we get that information out through, through these podcasts. So awesome. and, and we drop some great nuggets. So people.
0: Awesome. It. And it, it's a, I highly recommend everyone getting uh, going on to Google, searching Mike Morowski, That's M-O-R-A-W-S-K-I and looking for those insider secrets. But Mike, let's get into the story today. I ask all my guests when they come on the show, uh, remote the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. You know, I like this question
1: because I have to pick from one of three places, but I'm gonna tell a story about how I, the first dollars I ever made, I I sold newspapers. So uh, I, my dad worked for a, a newspaper in Chicago and he would take me in the summer and I couldn't have been nine or 10 and put me in a factory in the morning, early hours where I would sell newspapers. And what was interesting is he taught me how to count change. So, you know, you, one of the things you asked is how do you value money? You know, when we were talking earlier before the show, and and I think I learned early on that you have to value money, you know, hang on to it. You know, uh, people joked for a long time that I had my first dollar I ever, uh, ever earned. But but my dad taught me how to count change. And and I think today that we don't see that. Everybody's got to put it in a calculator or in a cash register to figure it out. And, if, you know, it's just a funny process. Right. But I, I sold newspapers in the morning for a couple of hours and people would come in. And I loved it because guys had come in. And back then newspapers were twenty five, thirty five cents <laughs> and they'd give me a dollar and say, keep the change. So
0: I always loved that. Awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. And walk us through the early stages of your life and how did you get involved in real estate? And was, and was there a story before the entrepreneur, Mike? You know, because everyone does usually have a story before we get into the discovery of taking control of their life. What was yours? Yeah. you know, I think I've always been creative, Reid. I think I've always
1: uh, tried to figure things out and do things better than somebody else. Um I I've been an entrepreneur I believe my whole life I, since that first time I had a lemonade stand I was selling newspapers in a factory I had 3 paper routes uh when back when you know you could have a paper route and they don't do that anymore but you know uh I I, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs I didn't come from a family that had any real estate uh aspirations or understood real estate Matter of fact, I would ask my mom driving down the expressway, Hey, who owns that big building or who owns those apartments? And she would say, Insurance companies. And I don't think she understood that at the time or really realized what she was saying. But when I closed my first institutional deal years later, it was with an insurance company, right? I was, God, that's funny how that came together.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. And so you just mentioned that you've gone from being a kid. To, to doing institutional deals. There's got to be a gap there. What, what, what was the uh, early young Mike in his 20s? What was he doing? You know, do you have a corporate career before you got involved in real estate? Never. Um,
1: went. Uh, I worked for a swimming pool contractor. I, you know, I had some background with carpenter, you know, learning to be a carpenter and read blueprints. And and I remember my mom saying to me one time, Reed, uh, you know, why can't you keep a job? Every six months, you're changing jobs. And I worked for a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, a concrete mason, um, a a brick mason, roofing company. And it wasn't six months after she asked me that question that I opened my first business as a general contractor and never looked back. I was was working for a a contractor in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and the business was swimming pools. We built in-ground concrete swimming pools and serviced them. And I would look at my- Surely boss. that
0: can't be a big industry in North Chicago in the winter. It's, not,
1: <laughs> it's really,
0: it's a tough business. I could imagine. I could imagine.
1: Yeah, it's a tough business. But, you know, I would look at my boss and I'd go, God, I could do this better than you.
0: Hmm. And
1: I, one day somebody challenged me to go do it better than him. And I did. Uh, so I, and I've always, always been self-employed since
0: then. Awesome. I actually- it's funny you mentioned swimming pools because I, I have a vivid memory of building a 25-metre lap pool in Australia mm. uh, when I was 16 years of age, uh, summer holidays, and I'm in, you know, in Australia it's hot as hell and you're sort of whatever it is, eight feet, nine feet below grade, tying rebar, and mm. I just remember like back-breaking work, you know, bending over for eight, nine, ten hours a day, going back to my dad and just like, you know, I can't, you know, it was good money, 15 bucks at the time or whatever it was, you know, and you're working big long hours. But my dad said to me at that stage, he's like, this is why you're going to university because you don't have to rely on a skill, a backbreaking skill to, to keep you employed. And, and, and that, that sort of, I, I just, I, swimming pools are very, very uh, PTSD for those times of sweating it in, in the trenches. But uh, I'm, sure it. It wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't the same in, in North Chicago. I don't know if you have the same sort of sweltery conditions that we have in, in, down in Australia.
1: You know, in the summer it can get it can get up over hundred degrees sure. here. Okay. So you know, and it's very humid. So you know, I can relate, and especially when you're down below grade. So yep. it, yeah, it's interesting. Hey, you know, so here's here's something that's interesting, right? Um, your your dad kind of encouraged you to go to college. My dad mm-hmm. did too, but I never did. Right? I mm-hmm. didn't go to college. And here's uh, here's what I equated to: I read a thousand books from the time mm-hmm. I was twenty until the time I was, or actually probably twenty three till the time I was 40, my, my late forties. And um, I always tell people, I say, listen, read books that that's how You know, I think I got a street smart education. My dad told me one time, he said, listen, if you ever go into business for yourself, and again, remember they're not entrepreneurs. They don't, you know, my dad drove a truck, right? Mm. Uh, he, he said to me, if you ever go into business for yourself, uh, food, shelter, or clothing, do mm. something food, shelter, clothing, and he was right. I've always been in shelter. And not that driving a truck was bad at all because it provided one hell of an income and does for people today too. So it's just, it, it's backbreaking work
0: like tying rebar. <laughs> exactly, backbreaking work. I and mean, I love that. Food, shelter, clothing, it's a, it's a really good basic piece of golden nugget. That you'd probably, your dad didn't think too much about it, but when you think about shelter, it's like, yeah, like we just came through the pandemic everyone needs a roof over their heads right like people need housing there's housing across the globe I don't care wherever you are in this world you can invest in real estate and whether it be in Australia or Mexico or Alaska or the United States or Antarctica you need shelter so that's awesome stuff walk me into what you we mentioned a little bit offline in the green room you've got an incredible story about some harder times and I'm going to let you explain the story but Maybe give us the, the the lead up to it and and what ended up, what what happened to get you into that situation because I'm, I'm I'm really interested for the listeners to hear it from your point of view and, and the lessons learned along the way because I'm sure there'll be a ton of them. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of lessons and there's six six prominent ones
1: that that I'll talk about through this, but so you know I've been in the construction business and you know it's funny what you said it can't be an easy business in Chicago and it never mm-hmm. was because. I would hire guys in the springtime, train them and teach them. Fall, I'd have to put them on unemployment. So they go Mm -hmm. on unemployment. I would think they'd come back in the next spring and they didn't. They'd go find another job. And then I'd have to find new guys, train them. And then the same cycle. Well, it it was a nightmare because I wasn't making any money and it cost me so much money in training. So what I decided to do was, listen, I'm going to start doing kitchen and bath remodeling in the fall. And I'll keep these guys busy all year round. So I wind up doing kitchen and bath remodeling and um, building room additions and, you know, built a heck of a successful general contracting business. So I transitioned from swimming pool installations and swimming pool service into the construction business. And I woke up one morning, I was married to my wife at the time, and I woke up one morning and I went, I can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. I was still banging nails. I was doing sales, I was doing bookkeeping, I was doing scheduling, couldn't work, it didn't. And I had somebody knocking on my door that wanted to buy the company. So I decided to sell my company and I took a year off. And during that year, we house hacked a couple houses. Now, this is house hacking is long. This was long before it was the traditional cool thing. <laughs> the, it, it wasn't sexy back then. Matter of fact, I remember my wife yelling at me that she was stepping on nails and clean them up. Right. So along the way, I meet a real estate agent. Very, very successful. And I go to him and I say, hey, Todd, I think I'm, I want to be in real estate. And he said, I think you'd be great at it. So he really kind of encouraged me to go into the business. And in going into the business, I said, could I come and shadow your team? Because read one philosophy I have is that success leaves clues. You know, it's just like this podcast stuff, listen to what you and I talk about. There's some success in here. People can pick these nuggets up and, and go and be successful or it helps cut the learning curve, right? right? So he says, no, but I'm going to do one better. I'm going to make you a cassette tape. Now, I'm really dating myself because I don't think you can find anything to make a cassette (laughs) tape on anymore, right? So he makes me this cassette tape, and I listen to it over and over and over again. And I go in the business. My first nine months in the real estate sales business, I sell 78 houses. I'm REMAX Rookie of the Year that year. And then I go on to build a team selling over 125 listings a year for about nine years. And um, I see in 2005, the market starting to shift and change. And I know that something's gonna be different. And so I say, well, I've always wanted to be in the apartment business because again, success leaves clues. Back when I was in the construction business, I did a lot of work for two major syndicators here in Chicago. I did a lot of apartment work. So I understood this Reed, I understood you raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal, you stay in the middle. And as long as everything goes well, everybody makes money and and profits from it, right? Well, I go out in 2005 and syndicate my first apartment deal. Uh, I I wind up going and raising $18 million, buying $60 $60 million worth of real estate, 4,000 apartments in five US markets. And I did that in 30 months, I also built a property management company managing 7,500 units. I scaled a company close to $100 million in value, and we wound up, um, and, and I did that in 30 months. So, Reed, here's the first lesson I grew way too fast, I was very unstable. I thought I had a team behind me that was stabilizing deals and getting the capital improvements done and working the business plan that I wrote, and they weren't. So I was very unstable. So uh, as we uh, move along a little bit, 2008 comes around, boom. It's like hitting a brick wall in a freight train, right? I start, because of being unstable, I start to derail and come off the tracks. and. I have companies that read, I should have just let those deals go to foreclosure and let those investors get hurt. But that's not who I am. Hey, my core value is that I'm a caretaker and I want to make sure you're okay and safe. And so what I did was I tried to craft a way that I could save all my investors. So I was under leveraged or undercapitalized. I hadn't raised enough money. Lesson number two. Lesson number three, I took a provision out of my operating agreement that I could go back to my investors for a capital call. So I didn't have that ability. So now here I am, financial crisis, worst the world's ever seen. There, I, And I think, Reed, here's what I think along the way. This, this is a recession. It's going to last 17 or 18 months. There's only a few months left, 10, 10 or 12% correction in the marketplace will be good my accountant and my attorney say, Hey, it's okay. Move money between companies. And when the market comes back, put the money back. I think, great. You know, I can do this. I'll weather the storm for a few months. We'll be okay. Well, it was a seven or eight year correction with a 40% correction in the marketplace. No way to weather the storm. So I didn't disclose to my investors that I was moving money. And as a result of, of, not disclosing to my investors. So another lesson be transparent. Um, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. Wow.
0: Wow. That's incredible. That's through through just trying to weather a storm and and, and do an intercompany transfer. And we could it all boiled down to the fact you didn't tell the investors. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it really came down to uh, not to a non-disclosure issue, mm. um, and yeah, it was um, really a non
0: non-disclosure issue. Because I'm sure you would have been able to. And I, I don't know. Maybe your PPM wasn't that ironclad, but you know, the PPMs that I write today, there's obviously call for call for off oh, not call for office, call for cash. You know, capital calls, but there's also provisions for the GP to go out and acquire new loans. You know however, whatever the deal needs, right? To, 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 to preserve investors capital. And I assume that besides obviously the transparency, we'll put that to one side again, but was the acquiring of the loan also the issue because you're using it from another company, another property within the portfolio, you, had, you didn't go and actually get it, go out and get a secondary loan on the property? Well, the market had gotten so
1: bad you couldn't go get money in. Right, right. So, you know, at one point, listen, I bought $60 million worth of real estate. Here's another mistake. At 15% down, the mm. banks were throwing money at us. Then all of a sudden, everything locked up and you couldn't get money anymore. Right. So um, I, I had a deal where the bank came out and they actually reduced the principal amount <laughs> on the deal and gave me a reduction in the loan where we restructured it.
0: So um, could have done more of that. I, but, but didn't because you did. And then what was the ultimate... Uh, Unwinding, I guess, is the right word. Who who caught you? Who who caught your hand in the cookie jar? Well, the noise got so loud from the investors
1: wanting capital. They were trying to make capital calls and pull their cash out. There was Mm -hmm. no liquidity. There was nothing that could be done. We were locked up. And then when we finally started to tell investors, hey, we had to take profit from this company and put it in this company so nobody would get hurt, they were mad. Right. So we wound up doing a voluntary receivership. So we took all of our companies and gave them to a receiver so that the, in thinking that the receiver would mitigate the storm between us and the investor. And it turned out to be a nightmare. We never should have done that. We should have continued to, to run the deals. Now, here's what I would say, Reed. Five years before I was indicted, what I did would have been a slap on the hand, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine by the SEC. They would have told us to go back, straighten your business out, don't let it happen again. But today they indict you, they turn your business upside down, they strip you from everything, including your family, and put you in prison. Hmm. So it's a big difference today. Used to, you know, there was that incident with Bernie Madoff years ago. Yep. And that changed all the white collar crime, right? So, you know what considered a crime today might not before Bernie Madoff have been a crime. It mm-hmm. might have just been a slap on the hand, and there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So there's a disparity today in the in the justice system around that stuff. So, you, you know, this is a long way to kind of answer your question. But, this is good. Um, but you know what happened was I wound up. Turning all 38 of my companies over to a receiver, so that they could mitigate the storm. That was in November of 2010. Well, we didn't, weren't indicted till May of 2011. So there was a period of time there that we didn't even have the property anymore. We
0: didn't even own the property anymore. So, mm. you know, was it, so when you say indictment, is that your investors doing? Is it a class action lawsuit? No, no, no. no. The, the federal government um, filed an indictment against us. Oh, got it. So, so yeah. someone had reported you to the SEC to get them get their wires up, and that is how they came breathing down your neck, and, and ultimately determined that you yeah. got it. Interesting. Right. Look, man, it's I've you know I've never I have I've been involved a little bit with the SEC, you know, from a, an outside a third party point of view. Um, looking in, it looks very, very uh, scary. <laughs> um, so, but how was, obviously you went through, you would have gone through a lot of emotional stress. Go ahead ask and ask the question, how was prison? Yeah, how was prison? Everybody asks that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm not even talking about up even leading up to the prison part. Like prison obviously will be good, we'll get to that, but the stress going through the indictment, the losing the business, the receivership, the, 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 Probably, you know, just I've only met you a few times, but the internal person saying I've failed, yeah. there would have been some pretty big demons there for for, for a long period of time. Yeah,
1: really. Um, so, you know, like I said I'm I'm not the kind of guy to to let people down, and mm. I felt like I let everybody down. It was it was hard for me to deal with, right? I felt like a failure. I felt like I was insufficient, like I like everything I did didn't matter. And, you know, it wasn't long before that that I remember sitting in church and saying hi to an investor that was sitting behind me and turning around, my wife and I sitting there and, and the investor's wife asking him, who is that? And he said, oh, that's the CEO of XYZ Company and me feeling, you know, mm. so pride and ego have a play in this as mm. well, mm. too, right? So um, here's what I tell people, seek good counsel and seek a lot of it. There's a lot of good counsel you can go get, you don't have to pay for it, but seek good counsel, it'll help you in the long run.
0: Now back into the show. So here's what happened. Yeah, and then you, you so, talk about the personal stuff.
1: So I'm in. I'm on vacation in 2010, August of 2010. My family and I are on our on our annual vacation, and we come back, and my partner says to me, "Hey, here's a couple business cards. You need to find yourself a criminal attorney." And I'm like, "A wow. criminal attorney?" I said I knew we were in trouble, and I knew we were having some issues. But how did it get to this point? He goes, "I can't talk to you anymore." I'm like, "You can't talk to me anymore. What do you mean?" And so, um, so I wind up getting a criminal attorney. We turn the companies over with a receiver. Over the next few months, uh, it's it's very contentious. Uh, the office is bad. He's bad. I'm bad. You know, we're we're arguing. I'm visiting with. My attorney's telling me, hey, listen, um, you need to um, you need to go talk to the FBI. You need to, to wow. go in and tell your story. I said, no, I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. He, he'd never do it. He'd take a we'd take a bullet for each other. Well, that's not what happened. Right. So he uh, while I was on vacation, he went into the um, the FBI the, and with the, met with the prosecutor and crafted a story that would get him less time in prison. And would keep our in-house legal counsel and our director of finance from being charged. So they crafted this story. I wound up getting a ten-year prison sentence for mail fraud and wire fraud, and he served thirty months. Hmm. So, um, you know, and we were fifty-fifty partners, right? So I just tell that because watch the things going on around you. Be aware of things. So I'll come back to that in a minute, but. Uh, I get indicted in May of 2011 and I get in the car with my wife after being in court that day. And I said, listen, we are, you know, I'm going to go to prison and I don't know what we're going to do. I said, we have two choices. One is I can give you an envelope with some money in it, but you're going to burn through that and have to go get a job or uh, I can build a business. Now, we had both been in real estate. She knew the business. I went and built a property management business that kept her and the kids in the house and she still runs that business today, by the way. Mm. and It's done very well for her. So um, I, I wind up going to prison thinking that my life is in, intact and everything's going to be fine. I built this business. I'm going to go home and re-engineer the business. We'll build it to about $5 million and, and exit and you know retire. And then I find out that that's not going to happen. Here's what happened. I'm in prison about 17 days. And I always tell people, Reed, I said, I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't buy a big house. I didn't have fancy cars. I didn't have uh, take expensive vacations. I, I was home every night for dinner. I was the neighborhood baseball coach, the, the school chaperone for field trips. Loved my wife. She was my best friend. We had a great marriage. I, I get ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men that I don't know and have three green outfits, five pairs of underpants, wondering what the hell happened in my life. And so I'm in prison about 17 days and I get the, um, the message from my wife that she's going to divorce me. Wow. I'm thinking that she wasn't going to all the way to the door. And, um, and so it, uh, it wrecked me. Mm. It just really ruined me. So, uh, so I'm in prison about six weeks, and I'm walking around every day, read, going, "What happened? How did I wind up here? What you know? And how am I going to get through this?" The joke was, "Let's take his shoelaces because we're afraid he's going to hurt himself." Hmm. And um, I came uh, six weeks in, and I walk into the gym one day, and let me just quantify this: I was only window shopping. I wasn't looking to buy anything in the gym. And I was 35 pounds overweight. I had gone from running marathons to being to hating myself and wondering, you know, what what's going to happen. And so this guy walks up to me in the gym and he says, hey, cut it out. He goes, don't let these people beat you. This is probably the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. He said, all they want to do is take everything from you. They can take your money, your real estate, your business, destroy your family, but they can't take who you are. They can't take what you're made of. They can't take what caused you to build those hundred, that hundred million dollar company. Get it back. He said, come to the gym every day, start working out, start feeling better, losing weight. And I said, okay, I'll take you up on it. And he was right. I started going to the gym. I started working out. I started feeling better. And before I knew it, I was losing weight. I felt healthy again. I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology, took four years to study. I I wrote two books while I was gone. One's called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and and Why You Need an Exit Plan Before You Buy. I'd love to give a copy away at the end of the show to your listeners. would love that. would love that. Um, I wrote a book on property management. I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate and ethics in in prison for six years. Hey, how how ironic a a federal inmate teaching ethics, right? (laughs) Um, I was on an outreach program, went into the community. I told my story like 40 times to small business owners and local college students. And then I met a professor from the University of Minnesota, and he and I co-authored a paper together that we had published in the Business Journal of Ethics this year uh, on, on a case study on my case which gets taught today at the collegiate level uh, for forensic accounting and accounting and sales and marketing classes. Mm. Oh, so, You know, I'm home today, uh, re-engineered myself. I'm in the coaching and training space. I teach people how to invest in real estate, invest in multifamily. I work with entrepreneurs, teaching them how to scale their business and live a balanced lifestyle.
0: How did you serve the full 10 years?
1: No, I served a I served seven years, 10 months, came home and served 10 months on home confinement. I came home the week they closed the world down for the pandemic.
0: Wow. How's it been? How's life been back on the outside? I guess that's yeah. it's crazy to think that you've, you're trying to, re, you've reinvented yourself or have been working to reinvent yourself so quickly, given that you would have had such an incredible readjustment coming into, back into society. How, how was, how was that for you? And, 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 put a pandemic on top of it. Yeah. Uh, it was tough. You know, uh,
1: you know, one thing, one thing that was really hard, you know, you come home, you've got some PTSD. Just yeah, like sure you do. Coming home from the service. <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, here, uh, you know, here's a great example, right? You go to Walmart and, and you stand in Walmart and, and there's people everywhere and you feel crowded and like people are watching you. There's forty-five choices of shampoo that you can choose from. And you revert back to the dollar fifty bottle of shampoo you used to buy in prison because it's convenient and you know what it is. But it takes a long time to adjust. It takes a long time to be able to go out and be in a crowd and be in, you know, I was gone a long time. Yeah. Today it's different. And I have a lot of respect for the world today, for relationships today, for people around me today.
0: Did you get any help mentally coming out of prison?
1: Yeah, uh, because I was in a I, I, I was in an aftercare program because I had ten months of home confinement, so mm-hmm. I was in an aftercare program, and I had this uh, I had a woman who uh, was like my I want to say you know like a therapist almost, but she yeah. was a case, caseworker, and. Um, She really helped me. I mean, when I look back on that 10 months, boy, she just was insightful and, and, you know, helped me to laugh and help me to lighten up and adjust. And so, yeah, I did get, that was, that was the help I got. But listen, in prison, nobody does anything for you. Anything Mm -hmm. you do, you have to do yourself. Hey, listen, um, somebody's got a clip out there that, that they say on the clip, and, and it's always showing somebody like in the gym working out. Or, but she says, nobody's coming for you. Yes, Nobody's coming to help. I think it's Mel Robbins who says this, right?
0: I've, I've heard it a couple of times. Now, yes.
1: Yeah. Nobody's coming for you. Nobody's coming to help you. You're going to have to do this yourself. You need to show up. You need to be the one to show up. And that's the same thing that kid said to me in the gym Is is, you know, I need to show up, right? I'm the one that's got to reach down, grab myself by the bootstraps, pull myself up and go make it happen. I had to tap into all those entrepreneurial skills, all of that past life where I was able to really pull things together and build businesses, and that's what I'm back doing today. And trust me, it's no easy
0: journey. But mm, I could imagine. You no, know, yeah. it's not. Well, look, mate, I want to thank you for for being so vulnerable there. I I, I also want to probably ask is how's the how's the home front, the kids, and the relationship on that side? Because that probably would have taken a bit of a beating as well. Obviously, you had a divorce, so. How's all that stuff going?
1: Uh, kind of interesting. You know, my my ex-wife and I are friends. That's uh, cool. she's, in yep. a, she's in a relationship with a guy that, you know, um, he seems okay. Um, I, you know, I don't think he and I would go out to networking events or <laughs> anything together, but he seems okay. And my kids like him. And, but it's kind of interesting because all the time I was in prison, I wanted to, I wanted that relationship back. I wanted my mm. marriage back and and then uh, the closer I got to the door, that started to shift. And, you know, just a couple months ago, my ex-wife and I were riding in a golf cart together, watching our daughter in a golf tournament. Hmm. And I, my kids are avid sports people, you know, sports kids. And I, two of my kids play golf and baseball and, and basketball. And I got out of the golf cart, Reed, and I said, man, I'm so glad I'm not married to, uh, to her anymore. <laughs> and, and I can be her friend. And she can be my friend and, you know, we can walk away and that's it. So that's kind of cool. So I enjoy that. Um, my kids, I have, uh, I, I have five kids. I have, wow. four, yeah. And two grandkids. So my old school team, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and, uh, I'm just, you know, I may, I'm wait, waiting to meet a woman that's got another six or five and we can <laughs> play baseball. So I'm just kidding. Trust me. Um, <laughs> My, uh, my oldest daughter and I, we have a great relationship. I have a good relationship with her and the grandkids. And, um, so, so that's nice. My young kids and I, you know, they're so busy with school and sports and my son works and they're hard to get a hold, of, uh, hard to get with. Um, but we do the best that we can. And, and I get to go to a lot of sporting events and spend time with them there. So, but then I have two middle girls read. I haven't talked to in eight years. Mm. Um, their mom I, their mom has polluted the well um, mm. and really just doesn't like me and has you know really set some framework for for the girls not to like me and so it's kind of sad I keep hoping that at some point maybe they hear a podcast or uh, run across me and you know uh, I, I I write to them all the time i I one of my daughters, I have her phone number, so I call her and text her. She never answers, but um, you know, I, I reach out, I do the best I can, and and just you know, they're loved, and someday that'll change. I I pray to God. So,
0: well, my I, I look, I, it wasn't that I was trying to pry, but it was just more trying to give the audience a full perspective of how damaging it can be across not only business but personal relationships, and then re-entering the the, the life pandemic all that it just it's a lot to handle man and and i just you know congratulations for being able to pull yourself up a lot of people would be weaker mentally than probably where you're at today and and may not have had the the courage to go on you know or or, or rebuild yourself or rebuild the business and write more books so i you're i think your resilience is freaking incredible my friend so um you know kudos that's all that's all i can say And, and and thank you for sharing your story with me
1: can I tell one more quick story? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. We talk about lessons learned, right? And um, so, I want I, I want people to pay attention to this, and and I specifically want to address the male listeners mm-hmm. um, because I believe as a man, as a husband, as a spouse, we don't pay enough attention to our wives, to our spouses. So in 2008, I'm getting ready to close a real estate deal. I'm sitting in Cincinnati. I'm a thousand miles away from my office in a title company. And I'm waiting for my office to wire, you know, a half a million dollars and the money's not coming and I can't get my partner. And finally, I get my partner on the t- on the phone. And this is long before anything blew up. Right. And he says uh, he says, I don't know how to tell you this. So what's going to go through your mind at that instant? Right. And he said, I can't wire the money. I took money from the escrow account. I put it in a, in a business operating account. I thought I'd have the money back. I said, I, we had this conversation when we started this business. We knew that you never did that. He goes, I know. He goes, I, I thought I could have the money back. I said, okay, let me dry clothes, which means I signed all the paperwork. I said, I'll have it funded by Tuesday. I told the title company and I went home. And I raised the money over the weekend. Uh, was able to give away a little bit of equity, bring some other investors in, uh, got the deal closed and you know just brought another tranche of capital in. But that was on Wednesday. Now, Rita, I just want you to know I never talked to my wife about business. She always worried way too much. I kept things from her and um, n- not because I lied to her or hid anything, but because I didn't want her to worry if something mm. went bad. So I tell her once in a while, "Hey, I met a new investor. We closed a deal. I raised some more money. You know, high-level stuff. Nothing right. else." So we're on the we're on the phone, and um, or we go out to dinner on Friday night that week with my partner and his wife. And on the way home, out of clear blue nowhere, she says to me, "I don't trust him." Hmm. And 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 I think I'm a good husband at this point. And I go, "Hey, honey, don't worry. I've got this under control. Mm-hmm. I got your back." nothing's going to happen to you right our, our wives they want know their security that that we take care of them well what i should have done was i should have said tell me more about that what do you see that i'm missing see people around me were starting to see red flags and starting to see things go on that i wasn't paying attention to because i had my blinders on well a week later i'm out to lunch with my attorney Um, And this is my, I had an in-house legal counsel and an outside legal counsel. And this is my outside legal counsel. We're coming out of the restaurant and he puts his arm around me, walk into the car in the parking lot. And he says, um, he says, listen, he goes, I don't like what's going on. I don't like what I'm seeing right now. I I think you need to take a closer look at your partner and what's going on. Now, Reed, I don't blame him for anything because I broke the law my, was my non-disclosure issue I'm the one that didn't tell the investors but I didn't pay attention to the details and I told both of these people I said ah oh, don't worry about it I got it you know mm-hmm. I, I you know I'm watching out and and in essence I wasn't I didn't I wasn't watching out I didn't have a handle on any of it so I want people to understand first of all listen to people around you pay attention to the red to the details light loosen up your blinders a little bit Cause we, we tend to put our blinders on and not pay attention to the peripheral vision. And we need to really kind of loosen that up a little bit. And guys, listen to your wife. Mm. So many times they're smarter than we are oh. and pay attention. That's why, that's why you're in that relationship. So, so I tell that story because I think that, you know, we just need to smarten up a little bit.
0: It's a very good, it's a very good recap because I personally also. My wife is very, very more emotionally intelligent than I am. <laughs> I'm going to be 100. I'll put my hand up and say that. And I think that is so true. And such a good litmus test is meet the wife. Let, let my let, let let my my wife meet my new business partner and see how she says she's had. I've had you know small partners in the past, and she's always had a little bit of a oh, I don't know about that guy. And I've had some some about her so her partners. Yeah. But it's always good to, to bounce that off each other because they know you the best, right? They're, they're the one who lives with you. They're the one who can see, as you said, your blind spot because you probably are so enamored by the fact that, oh, wow, we're going to get this deal done and we're going to have a partnership and this is going to be great and we're going to skyrocket to the moon. But you ignore, as you said, the red flags or the, the warning signs that someone else who's a third party who really knows you can identify like at a drop of a hat. So. No, that's, that's really good advice. And thank you for sharing. As we come to the end of the show, we do like to do the top five investing tips. Before we get into that, what do you got to plan for now in the end of the year, mate? Like, an, oh, sorry, Not even the end of the year, what do you got to plan for the next five years as you, as you slowly start to rebuild?
1: Yeah, great. So I have a coaching and training company and I love to give back. I love to help people. I tell my story um, anytime somebody wants me... To to come on their show or or speak publicly in an event, I I would love to share my story and give some hope and inspiration to people. Awesome. That's my that's my first my first major goal. Um, I got approved by the SEC to go back and sponsor deals and be an issuer of securities, and so we're actively sponsoring deals. Uh, I'm getting ready to close a forty unit and have some more under contract uh, with a couple of partners. They happen to be coaching clients of mine that I partnered with. So, you know, uh, at a coaching client decided to go to do a deal with him and we brought another partner on and I've done another deal with another coaching client. So I work with individual investors, teach them what to do and then go on and partner with them. So I do a real hands on kind of, you know, mentorship coaching program. So I want to grow that. I, I would like to continue to scale that business scale my apartment investing business. And uh, just recently uh, started, a, had another coaching client that's been bugging me to go in the property management business with them. So we uh, decided to do that and are back in the property management business. Um, I have to say my first goal out of everything is to, to rebuild relationships with my children. And that's my major focus over everything else. Um, Everything else in my life can wait. You know, so over the next five years, I'll come out with a couple more books and continue to just, you know, build into people, so.
0: Awesome, awesome, mate. Well, thank you very much for sharing. And we're gonna jump into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, it's a lot. So it's a lightning round. It's very short, sharp answers. Anything comes to your your mind, just just spit it out. So question number one is, what is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
1: Mm, three daily disciplines in the morning. I get up and practice gratitude,
0: prayer, and exercise. Love that it. That keeps me sharp. Love it. Question number two is: Who's the most influential person in your career to date? I should say.
1: Mm, I would have to say that that uh, uh, individual who encouraged me to go into the real estate sales business. There's probably two people in my life that are very, in, in, you know, um, in, influential, and that was Todd encourage me to go into real estate sales business. And then um, my good friend, Forrest, who um, continually helps me in the multifamily space uh, to learn more and to grow more and to keep moving forward. Awesome. Awesome.
0: In your business today, question number three is, uh, I should say, in the business today, what's the most influential tool? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a notepad or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you can't run the business without. What is it? Two things, first my phone.
1: You know I think this is the most incredible piece of, of technology hardware ever built. Um, and you know, we, have, we have the keys to success and to the world in, our, in the palm of our hand today. And the other thing is my underwriting tool. What I use to evaluate deals and look at deals, um, I teach a class on that and I you know, give away my underwriting tool as part of that, that lesson. It, and you know what? It keeps me out of trouble. And it's mm. something we've built over 20 years.
0: So That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? We've, we've spent the whole probably podcast talking about it, but what could you summarize it into one sentence? Yeah, it was um,
1: not paying attention to the details around me, not listening to people around me, yep. and um, thinking that I had the whole thing handled and I didn't. No, that's right.
0: And, that's, and that comes back to ego and all that stuff we spoke about earlier. So final question, big fella, is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere, want to get a copy of the book, where do they need to go?
1: I love this question. <laughs> so listen, first of all, I'm everywhere you hang out on social media. So either my core intentions or Mike Morawski, you're going to find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere. Tag me, like me, love me, subscribe on YouTube. You'll, you know, I've Tons of content, hours and hours of content for people. My website is mycoreintentions.com. You can go download a copy of my book, Exit Plan, at mycoreintentions.com forward slash exit plan. And I am extremely open to uh, networking and connecting with people. Call me, reach out. You know, Mike at mycoreintentions.com is my direct email address.
0: And I look forward to talking to everybody. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your incredible story. And I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show to help the listeners, you know, from my perspective, summarize really what you're trying to say. And I think first and foremost, thank you for being so uh, open with with your journey and and the trials and tribulations you've been through, that the issues in and around your PPM, I think were some big ones there, you know, not having an ability to, uh, to to have a call for capital. I think that was the first one. Uh, there was obviously the disclosure, which is probably, you know, disclosure is always the most important thing, always disclose for those people listening out there, always disclose. But then, you know, about trying to go out and get a second um, loan on the property, but also during the timing of, of what you were doing, it was very difficult. But just understanding, be disclose, 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 be honest, and and, and if you're in trouble, don't put your hand up and say that you're in trouble. Um, and, and then, obviously, going through your—you know—the the, the, the mental hurdles to get through to, to get to prison in te- seven years, you're in prison and losing the family, losing the wife, losing probably other people around you, and then coming back out. But I will say that the biggest thing I've taken away from you is your resilience because you've come out in the midst of COVID and you've been able to rebuild quite fairly quickly. If you look back at how quickly you've come out, you've readjusted back to life. So well done, and and again. That the last the lesson that you mentioned earlier, paying attention to those details is so, so important. So, again, thanks again. But did I leave anything out?
1: No, I think awesome. you got it all, Read Great handle. Awesome, brother. You're a great listener.
0: Awesome, man. Well, look, again, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up very, very soon.
1: Thanks, my friend.
0: Well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Mike, you know, goosebumps stuff. Like, definitely go back and re-listen to this episode. It's jam-packed with some incredible advice and tips from someone who's been to the bottom of the barrel and come back again and now pull himself up from his own bootstraps. Um, Remember to head over to mycoreintentions.com's forward slash exit plan if you want to get a copy of his book. I highly recommend it. It would be something jam-packed with some incredible advice. And just get involved with what Mike is doing on his website because he does have so much to offer. Uh, Again, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. Hopefully, this episode, out of all the episodes, has been really influential. And if it has been, please give the show a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to do it all again next week, so remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.